0: Okay. I'm glad you're here. Um, we're at this amazing point in the year. Um, I, I just want to talk about uh, maybe uh, being present, um, w- what that means exactly, uh, and and just tie it into to Pesach, which is um, on its way, and and something we say in the Haggadah, and some all sorts of interesting stuff. Um Maybe let's just start with something from the Haggadah. Um, and it's, it's actually how we sort of officially begin. There are different sections to the Haggadah. The longest section is called Magid. That's when we actually tell the story of leaving Egypt and everything like that. So Magid's kind of the main section. And right at the beginning of Magid, uh, we have a, a, a recitation from the Haggadah. <coughs> In Hebrew, in Hebrew, or maybe it's Aramaic, it's halach That that's how you say it. And, and basically what happens is, is that the, it, I'm gonna read the instructions from the Haggadah here. It says, the head of the household lifts the broken matzah uh, for everyone to see and says, and and a lot of, uh, depending on how you run your Seder, everyone says it together, or one person says it on behalf of everyone, but basically this is for everyone. Um, Says that that every let let anyone who is hungry come and eat. Let anyone who's needy come and make Pesach. So so it's a it's a very beautiful thing. It, it's a, it's an invitation at the very opening of the of the seder itself that that everyone is welcome, and and anyone who needs a place should should come and this will be your place to participate in the seder. So, um, like I said, it sounds very beautiful. There's a giant problem with it, though, because if you think about it, it, it makes no sense whatsoever, which is that here it is. It's not like Seder's going to start in five minutes. We've already made some of the preliminaries. Kiddush has already been made. <laughs> right? The Seder is actually already on some level started, and now here you are at the table in the in the beginning of the middle of this Seder, who is taking you up on this invitation? And and who is even going to hear you outside of your front door to take you up on this invitation? So So it starts off sounding absolutely beautiful and inclusive and socially progressive and magnanimous, you know? You know, I'll just tell you something, just as an aside, it sort of relates. I'm just trying to make the, the question even stronger, make it even more of a problem. What's, what, there's something called, um, there's a category of halacha of just, you know, Jewish, Jewish life called genevas das. And if you, if you actually, it's something that you're not supposed to participate in. Um, and if you were to translate literally genevas das, it means stealing someone else's thought. Mind or something like that. So what's an example of Ganevas Das? I know that you're going to be out of town this weekend and I come up to and invite you over to my house for Shabbos. That if you know someone can't, can't keep your invitation and you sort of like very magnanimously invite them knowing in advance that they can come that's, that's actually considered against halacha. You're not allowed to do that. But if you just sort of like take it a step further, it's, it's interesting that it's called genevis das, because you're actually, that it's called a form of theft, but why? Because you are somehow, you are somehow making that person think that you're closer than you are perhaps. Like that's a form of theft. Interesting, that's interesting. So, with that in mind, and, and this idea that the the rabbis themselves give that example of inviting someone when you know they can't come and keep the invitation, let's revisit this idea of halach ma'anya. Here we are at the beginning of this seder, and we're invited inviting everyone who needs a place, everyone who's needy. But who's hearing our invitation? Okay. So now I would like to suggest the following answer. <coughs> which is that um, that the invitation is actually not Stas at all. That it is actually a very valid, very important invitation that's being given. And it's being given to the people who are at the table themselves. You see, you can be physically there, but who says that you're actually spiritually or emotionally or intellectually there? Right? You could be there with your body... But who says that you're there with your mind and your thoughts and your hopes and your dreams and an open heart? Right? And now let's take it even a step further, which is that as important as it is that the people who are there should be there, you know, you can only start with yourself. And it's um, who better to receive, who better to invite you to be there than you. <laughs> right? If you yourself are actually offering you yourself the invitation, then that's an invitation that you actually maybe have to take most seriously. That you should be there. So so it's a part of you calling for all of you to be there. And with that in mind, I want to tell you a, a, a Torah, a beautiful Torah, this is um, this is from the Moshe Um So, for those of you who don't know, Moshe is a great Hasidic dynasty, and they they sort of um, are, are sort of like the the master songwriters of, of of the Jewish people. And Reb Shlomo Karlbach was was greatly influenced by Moshe And if you go into a a, a Reb Shlomo style uh, Kabbalah Shabbos or just to feel a service, prayer service, almost all of the melodies are all written by Reb Shlomo, almost all of them. There, there are a few exceptions. If you like, if you sort of like made it into the service, that's kind of a big deal. And and those songs are often from Moshetz. So I'll give you an example. I'm not much of a singer, but just, I, I, unless I sing it, you won't know what I'm talking about. So like the Reb Shlomo Havdala, which, which I do, this is from Moshetz, you know, it goes, Da da di da di da di da dum, ba di da oyo o. Da da di di da di da di da oyo yo. Para di da da dum, da da di da 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 oyo. Okay, so this is this. That's Mojits, you know. There's, um, there, there are other examples in, 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 in the service, but um, just beautiful, super holy, like resonant, you know, like you're, you're really there. You're, you're really there. When you hear melodies like that, you're there. And I'll tell you, an awesome Torah from the Moshe Tzarebi, they say that, that you know, in terms of the sort of the cartography of the heavens, right, that that the that the, the heichel, heichel means palace the hechel of of neguna, which means song the palace of song is right next to the palace of chuva right of of spiritual holy return you know back to back to hashem so the mosheacher says because and, and if you just think about that for a moment when you when you're around very beautiful singing they uh, oftentimes that will bring you to tears and, and and that that sort of opens up your heart and your soul and you, you, you want to get closer to God at that moment. That is chuva. That's it's one of the greatest forms of chuva. So you see this connection between music and, and return. But the Moshitzer says that I say the Hegel of Naguna is the hegel of tshuva. Meaning it's not they're not just next to each other, they're one in the same. So again you see the, the 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 power of holy music and, and remember as we as we always say, we always mention the star, that Reb, it says in Pierre Avos that, that Hashem spoke and and the and, and the world came into being, right? We say then Brookshamar, it's in Arts and different places. But Reb Shlomo says no, Hashem sang and the world came into existence. Mm-hmm. And and I saw a, a, a source for that actually in in uh, from Rabbi Trugman's book from the uh, uh, Tukuni Zohar that that the, the word itself breishis if you rearrange the letters of breishis it actually spells shiras olive bays mm. so the word breishis itself is says the song of the olive bays the song of the letters. So here you see that the word braishis, you know, with beginnings, out of beginnings, the very first word of the Torah, is hinting at, at this beautiful singing which is, you know, weaved into the fabric of creation itself. Okay. So we're talking about how this opening invitation at the Seder halach ma'anya, that, we, that, that it's not empty, that, but that it's meant for us, and that it's meant for each of us individually. So with this in mind, the Moshe Terebri was, um, you know, also a an amazing Torah scholar and, and, and commentator, and so so this is this is what he says. This is Hashem says to Moshe, and it's uh, if you want to see it, you have to see it in the Hebrew. I'm going to read an English translation, but you have to see it in the Hebrew. It's um, it's Shmos 24:12, Exodus 24:12, and and there's this great Great, amazing Pasuk. Verse in the Torah, it says, Hashem said to Moshe, come up to me, to the mountain, and be there. I will give you the stone tablets, the Torah and the commandments that I have written for the people's instruction. So the Moshe Tzarebi points out, it doesn't have to say, um, come up to me, to the mountain, and be there. It doesn't have to say, and be there. Mm -hmm if you come up to the mountain, you're on top of the mountain, right? Doesn't have to say, and be there. If you climb up to the top of the mountain, you are there. But he says, no, 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 the is telling you so much, uh, something so much deeper. You can be on the top of the mountain and not be there because your thoughts are someplace else. So, you know, this whole um, be here now kind of movement, right? This is already in the Torah from thousands of years ago. This is, the Torah is talking about this. Hashem is talking about this thousands of years ago. And you have a classic, classic. This is a life-changing Torah from the Baal Shem Tov based on this, which is that where your thoughts are, that's where you are. It's one of the most important teachings of the whole Baal Shem Tov, you know? You know, and, and especially when it comes to um, closeness, trying to be close with God, spiritually elevating yourself. Because a lot of times it's sort of like, um, for whatever reason, you're just not there. You know, your, your life has not progressed to that, that, that place of, say, full observance or, or, or maximum observance or whatever you imagine that where you would like to ideally be. But sometimes your, your thoughts and your heart are in that place. In other words, they're sort of like, they've sort of like leapfrogged ahead of you, and they actually are in that place. And so, as the Baal Shem Tov is is saying in in a way that I think is very empowering and reassuring to us, if your thoughts are in that place, if your heart is in that place, you are in that place. And that, that can give a person a lot of strength and a lot of hope that they can actually, you know, whoever you're sort of like, greatest role model is in, 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 in terms of closeness or, or, or spiritual greatness, that there, there are moments in our lives where we can be in that place, right? Just because that's where our thoughts are and our hearts are. Okay. So, so now I want to just take it to another level, which is, yeah, you, if you want to... The, the Seder really formally begins... By the way, there's, there's two Torah mitzvahs. Out of the 613 mitzvahs, there's two of them being done at the Seder table. One of them is eating matzah, and the other is telling over the story of, of leaving Egypt. Those are both, those are the two Torah mitzvahs. There are many other mitzvahs, they're derubunan and they're very holy. But in terms of the 613 mitzvahs deraisa, those are the two. So the very beginning of this mitzvah der Reis, of telling over the story is this invitation. So you have to, ideally we have to focus and, 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 and allow this to happen for ourselves. And now I want to say something else. Which is that someone does show up. We issue this big invitation and we just said, well no one's showing up. Whoa, no,. wait, wait, wait. Someone is showing up. We're showing up. But now I want to say something else. I want to say, other than you, other than the people at the table, someone actually is showing up and taking you up on your invitation. It isn't empty at all. Who's that? Eliyahu Hanavi. Because he comes to every center. Amen. You're inviting him at the top. You're invi- and, and someone does take you up on the invitation. Now who's Eliyahu? Eliyahu is announcing the arrival of Mashiach. So now let's put all these thoughts together. Maybe because you're there, he decides to show up. (laughs) See what it is? If you're present, if you're present in that moment, all of a sudden it's a place where Eliyahu can be also. You know, I once heard, but I didn't have it explained to me. And then I saw Rabbi uh, Moshe Wolfson brought brought it from the Zohar. Actually, like maybe you've heard this that that sometimes you know it's as 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 wonderful as simchas are. You know, like sort of family happy occasions. Whether it's your simcha or someone else's simcha, sometimes there's uh, the parents aren't there or the grandparents aren't there because you know they're they're in the next world. And 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 sometimes you hear people sort of like. Comforting people, sometimes it's someone who's just passed, and so it's sad that they're not there. You know, whatever it is, you, you, you want to share occasions like that with your parents, your grandparents. So, I, I have heard at many simchas people telling other people, saying, you know what, the, your, your, your parents, your grandparents, they, they show up at a simkha. You may have heard that, right? But what's the source for that? It's it's nice, but what's actually the source of that? The source for that actually comes from the Zohar. And, and the Zohar says that, that basically Gan Eden is this place of tremendous simcha. And a soul doesn't want to leave this place of simcha unless they're going to another simcha. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. See, if they're going to another simcha, then, then, that's, then, then that's okay. It's very amazing. This is not me saying this. This is a Zohar. I heard this from Rabbi Wolfson. This is, you know... So, so that's amazing. So let's apply that to Eliyahu, right? So you think it's just so simple for, I mean, I guess he can go every once, but the idea that every year, like there's an appointment, but if we're all there, if we're all really there and we're participating in this amazing thing, that's some, that's a place that we where he wants to come, right? By the way, I'll just tell you, since we're talking about the moment of the arrival of Eliyahu, one of the most beautiful minhagim that that I know of, um, I learned from Reb Shlomo. This is something that he would do, and I recommend it. Um, I guess it's a little bit tricky this year because this year Seder night, the first Seder night, is on a Friday. It's on Shabbos night, so you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it this this year. But on another year, most years you can do it, and, and second Seder night, if you're having a second Seder, you can do it which is that everyone goes to the door, opens the door for Eliyahu, and you take a candle, You you can transfer fire, you can't light a new candle, but you can transfer fire. Everyone goes out with a candle, and you go outside, and then you pray for whatever is in your heart. Because the idea is that when you're opening up the door for Eliyahu, basically all of the gates in heaven open up. And so you go out, and then you just you dive in for everything in your heart, and it's a real, it's a real highlight of the seder, a real amazing moment. And and while we're talking about Eliyahu, I'll tell you one more amazing minig that you can do relating to Eliyahu, which is that you know you have the you have the fifth cup, you have four cups, but then there's a fifth cup in the middle of the table. And that's the, the Kos of Eliyahu, the cup of Eliyahu, right? And that, no one drinks. And by the way, there's um, different phrasings. The four cups of wine correlate with these four phrasings of redemption. But then there's the fifth greatest sort of like um, expression of redemption in the beginning of, of uh, Shmos Exodus in the, the Parsha there. And that is sort of assigned to Eliyahu because that's the ultimate redemption. But anyway, I, I, I heard this minhag, and I, I love it. It's, a, I guess, a Hasidic minhag, which is to take a teaspoon from the cup, and you could put a teaspoon from his cup in your fourth cup. Ah. So you're not, you're not drinking from the cup, but everyone who, who wants it is, is getting from that fifth cup, you know? And that's, that's, that's again, this, this idea that Eliyahu becomes present because, mm-hmm. because you're there. Because you're there. He's there. So with that in mind, I want to tell you something unbelievable. So, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, kind of a story in progress. So someone who I'm working with had, uh, had some brain surgery and should have a complete recovery. Uh, and... And, uh, yeah, so, and we were talking a little bit and, uh, her brain is in a a very interesting and, and I would say wonderful, wonderful place right now. And she herself is just, because of the surgery, because a tumor was removed, it, it, it sort of like relieved the pressure that was on a different part of the brain, which was, you know, causing problems and things like that. And now there's there's a a, a, a new life that's coming, basically. And, and she wrote to me to describe kind of how she's feeling right now. And it's a short email, but I, I wanted to read it to you because it's... It's so, in my mind, it's so beautiful, and the the sense of presence. Uh, I I, I sent her something, and she wrote back. I was thinking the same thought today in my garden. I used to feel frustrated, annoyed, to have to water a plant, pick a weed. But today, each step felt so needed, so important. These little steps feel interesting and amazing to me. I need to step to the hose, turn it on, water the plant. Each thing seemed important, big, interesting, not frustrating at all. The steps seem important to me these days, not frustrating steps. I'm feeling this way with each thing, even brushing my hair. So funny, these thoughts. I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, you talk about a a real-time description of truly being here. And uh, And this is this is a level of consciousness that 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 is going to come to to all of us. You know, this is when when the Torah talks about like, for instance, we just, we just read uh, in the Haftorah uh, 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 from Yechezkel, from the prophet Ezekiel, just a, an, an example of this. Um, so it says, Hashem says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I shall remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That, that's what that's talking about and and I'm sure it's it's even deeper than that. but this concept of sort of like this um this expanded consciousness mm-hmm. to actually be aware of the, the very things that are going on like from moment to moment. And when you begin to sort of like think about this, well, you can understand what the Ramban is saying. The Ramban is talking about how. Anyone who doesn't understand that every single thing that happens is a miracle has no share in the Torah of Moshe, which is a very radical statement. You have no share in the Torah of Moshe if you don't understand that every single thing that happens is a miracle. But what he's doing is he's tapping into this level of consciousness. See, you have to understand nothing has to be the way it is. Nothing at all has to be the way it is. Which means that every single thing, even if it appears over and over again, it seems like so routine, and it seems like it's like no, this is actually how it has to be, but it isn't, but it isn't, and then you can appreciate every single moment as wow, it's, it's, it's this and not a hundred other things, and even if it's bad, God forbid, it could be so much worse. I'm so, and a person can celebrate that it's not so much worse. But really, bless you. But really, but really. So, with this in mind, I want to bring it back to to uh, the Mishkan, back to back to Pesach, back to the calendar, because something really interesting, I saw from the Ramban, which is, you know, we, we just finished the book of Exodus. And it was a super detailed account of the construction of the Mishkan, the last several parshas. You know, it starts in, and and we made this point before, but we're building to a new idea right now, which is that you know, the, 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 the book of Exodus, Sefer Shmos begins in the most epic, epic way. The Jews are, like, thoroughly enslaved. And then someone just, like, a, a lone individual with his wife and two kids, like, enter on a donkey to, like, the greatest ancient civilization, right? And then leave with, like, two and a half million people, right? And the, the place is crumbling in ruins behind them. It's It's... It's amazing. It's amazing without one bazooka or, or like, you know, gun or cannon or anything. Just, it's incredible. And they don't, once they they win their freedom, they don't stay to enslave the populace that that it enslaved them. That in itself is historically amazing. Usually the oppressed rises up and eventually becomes the oppressor. And they just, the Jewish people just checked out and started over. And with those levels of numbers, you don't ever see this ever. This is incredible. And then goes out into the middle of the desert with no food? And over two million people? Because God who took them out, sustained them. Right? Because God can do anything. Okay. So then... All of a sudden, the entire book goes from this amazing, amazing account to a very super detailed um, uh, command to build this mishkan, this this tabernacle, this you know, this temple essentially that was you know like um, you could break it apart and put it back together and travel with it, and then pages and pages and pages and pages and pages and pages are devoted to the most minute details about this. And it's all part of the same book of the Torah. So say, okay, you want to do that? Let's make a different book of the Torah. It doesn't have to be a long book. We'll make a different book because it's on a brand new subject. But clearly, it's on the exact same subject. So what's the connection? So the answer is that the Mishkan itself was sort of like the focal point for the dwelling place for God in this dimension, okay? God fills the entire dimension, but this was going to be sort of the official headquarters. And by the way, God says, make this structure and I will dwell in them. It should say, make this structure and I will dwell in it. But it says, and I will dwell in them, which means that the real headquarters for God's presence is our hearts, right? But now, and so the idea is that once we get our freedom and once we get the Torah at Mount Sinai, our mission is to turn the entire world into a dwelling place for God. That, that's why it's all on the same subject. That's why it's one subject. So this is building on the Ramban. Okay, but now let's go to something very, very particular that the Ramban says is in, in his introduction to Sefer Shmos, the book of Exodus. He, he says, okay, the Jews leave Egypt, and when do they leave exile? So if you asked me the question, I would say, okay, that's not a very hard question. When do they leave exile? They leave exile when they enter into Israel. That's, that's what I would say. That seems pretty straightforward. So he gives a very different answer. <laughs> And his answer is really amazing. He says, do you know when the Jews leave exile? When God Shekhinah, God's holy presence, returns back to the world with the Mishkan. In other words, what he's doing is he's redefining what exile means. Exile means that the most palpable presence of God, which we call the Shekhinah, is, which is not any physical entity, it's just a, you know, this, you know, closeness of God, returns back. When the when when the when when the awareness of God returns back to us in the fullest sense, that's the end of exile. And that was the greatness of having the Mishkan. And that's why we pray to this day, all of the time for the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, because that is, in this historical iteration that we are in right now, that is our Mishkan today, is the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. When when that becomes rebuilt, then we leave this state called exile, because the Shekhinah then, returns back to the world. And this level of closeness returns back to the world. But now to put everything together that we've been discussing up until now, what are we really talking about in terms of returning back to the world? This idea of, of all of us being here. That we're then here in a way with a level of expanded consciousness so that we can actually appreciate what's going on in front of our own noses. OK. Now for some questions and answers.
1: Um, is Elio Hanovi a real physical person? Or is he a representation of something more esoteric?
0: I think we say that it's a real person. So so we know that he's an actual historical figure. Right. Now, if you look at the Or HaChaim, when he's talking about um, Adam and Chava, pre-eating from the Tree of Knowledge, I, I believe this is the example that he gives. He says, imagine a two-story house. So a person can go upstairs and downstairs at will. Right? So that's... That's what reality was before we ate from the tree of knowledge. See, what happened when we ate from the tree of knowledge, we sort of like, we kind of made ourselves the ultimate authority in the world. And we started looking, it all, everything became much more self-conscious, more inward. And um, for instance, we started noticing our own nakedness. Which is sort of like, was not our consciousness at all because we were sort of looking outward, not looking at our own selves. And the sort of like the fabric of reality sort of like reformed itself to shape to our level of consciousness. So because we became much more materialistic and much more self centered, the universe itself became much more physicalized.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so that ease that we could go from the first floor to the second floor or from the material world to the spiritual world essentially got cut off, right? That we can enter into the spiritual world, but only after we leave our physical bodies, only at the time of death. So so what I'm trying to tell, I'm answering your question about Eliyahu, but what I'm trying to tell you is that from the very beginning, this idea of going upstairs-downstairs, or from the physical world to the, material, to the spiritual world, was something that was sort of built in as normal into reality. Yeah. But then from almost the very, very beginning, it became not the regular thing. But then the one who signifies, the one who embodies redemption, was basically going to remove that ceiling, if you will, Right, it's 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 ushered through Eliyahu. Well, Eliyahu not Mashiach, but he announces Mashiach, so it's one concept. So it makes sense that the that the sort of the emissary, the ambassador of this expanded consciousness, is someone who still can go upstairs and downstairs as well.
1: And when, and, when he, and when he comes downstairs, does he manifest, How does he manifest himself? Like, well, know.
0: they, you know, we we've got many stories over the years about you know just that he can inhabit whatever body he wants, you know? So, so you know, Reb Shlomo used to tell this story. I heard him tell this story myself more than once. It was one of his favorite stories, which was he knew a couple, and this couple was was just got married that night, and they didn't have any money to their name. And um, they were taking... They were on the subway coming back from their wedding, right? And they were just sitting there and... One, I guess the wife, said to the husband, you know, it's okay we don't have any money, but I wish just for tonight, you know, this was their wedding night, just for tonight we we had a place that we could go to, like a special place we could go to. And there was a person on the subway, and, you know, a black brother, and he looked at them and said, ah, oh, look at you, the two of you, you're in love, aren't you? You're, you're, you're really in love, I can see it, you're in love. And then he took out an envelope with a wad of cash and he threw it to them.
1: Wow. No way. Yeah. Wow.
0: And it's a true story. It was told to Reb Shlomo by the people who, who, that couple, and he used to tell that story a lot. He loved that story. And he would always say, he would always say that that was a modern Eliyahu story. He would always make a very special point that that was Eliyahu. Wow, wow. So, so, so we don't know. You know, I mean, there's many, many, many stories. There's, 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 there's a, there's a story. Um, I saw this story too. It's, a, it's sort of, kind of a different flavor to this v- story, but but it's a good one to know. Which is, there was someone who um, said to his Rebbe. I want to be able to see Eliyahu because we know we have a tradition that if if a person reaches a certain <coughs> spiritual level level, Eliyahu will actually come in and, and learn with them mm-hmm. so in fact, by the we mentioned the Orchayim. i believe it was the Orchayim. that that there was he would learn in the middle of the night and his his wife would um would uh, bring him tea I, I, and, and anyway, I guess she was nifter, she left the picture or something like that or I don't know if I have this story right exactly but, but let me just get to the next point. I, I don't remember all the details but the most important detail is this, this detail. There was, there was a, a servant who lived in the house a girl and and she when she would she started bringing tea i think it was because the the wife died and she brought two cups of tea wow. and it was just him sitting alone and he said why are you bringing two cups of tea she says for you and the person you're learning with wow and then he married her because he he was like you know my my even my wife didn't see, but you saw. So obviously, I have to marry you. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, you're know, you on that level. <laughs> so, but that's not even the story I wanted to tell you. It was another story, which is um, that someone wanted to see Eliyahu, and the Rebbe told him, learn for 40 nights, straight nights, and, and you'll, you'll see him. So on the 40th night, and uh, like an old broken like man, like like a beggar, comes to him and starts asking him questions. And he says, "You know, I'm I'm trying. I'm getting I'm getting ready to meet Eliyahu. <laughs> like get out, basically." And then the next day, he tells his rebbe, "I learned for forty nights, and and the Eliyahu didn't come." And then he he asks and he tells him the story, and he says to him, "That was Eliyahu." So, a lot of times, there's this notion that he shows up as a beggar.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and and it and that makes perfect sense, by the way. That makes absolutely perfect sense. The reason is because if the Torah that you're learning isn't transforming you to the point where you have a kind and open heart for someone who's, you know, really at the bottom, then you haven't learn the Torah, really. You know, like like someone famously went up to the Kutz Karebi and says, I've been through Shas, meaning I've been through the whole Talmud, which is a, a staggering accomplishment. And the the Kutz Karebi says, has, has Shas been through you? Right? You can go through the pages, but have the pages gone through you? Like, that's, that's the question. So, it makes sense that Eliyahu shows up often as a beggar because you know, it's, you're only on the level if you can speak to someone who's in that place in society in a way that's beautiful and, and, and befitting their covet. And even if you don't think that it's it's Eliyahu, you know, you, you should still treat them with covet. You know, as, as, as Reb Shlomo said, as a, a, young, as a young boy, he, he saw his father was getting ready to meet someone who was had a reputation of being a thief in the community. And he saw his father standing in front of the mirror and straightening his tie and straightening his beard so, you know, that he should look his best. And the young Reb Shlomo said, he's a thief. And, 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 and his father said to him, Shlomo, there isn't enough covet in the entire world for one person to give another person. Right? So, and he wasn't telling him that he's Eliyahu. It doesn't have to be Eliyahu.
1: Uh, I have a comment or a question? Sure. Uh, first of all, it's beautiful. Thank you for the thank you for the talk. It was a delight that yeah. uh, I needed personally to yeah. kind of reawaken. Uh, so what you're, what you're touching upon is such a it's a deep uh, concept, and I feel like um, from I studied Buddhism for about eight years before moving to Judaism. And there's a concept of mindfulness in Buddhism that's one of the core practices, which is basically turning to your breath, you know, opening up to what's happening around you and being fully present and I was very shocked when I moved into Judaism that I felt like I'm going to these houses of study, and many people that I would talk to didn't have those tools available to them and they almost uh, i don't know like it was, it's, it's like a whole new tool set to, to, to give people you know so I just encourage everyone, including myself to To take a little bit of time every day just to go back to the breath and to really start practicing getting in tune with one's own breath because the breath is the bridge between the physical and the spiritual in many ways uh, and it's a bridge to higher consciousness and when you start breathing and when you can start weaving that into different parts of your day you you do mitzvahs with new levels of intention and it's it's so beautiful you know so it's a tool that I really hope that everyone takes advantage of because Hashem gives us the breath every moment we have the breath it's amazing it's such a gift and we rarely ever use
0: it to its full potential that's yeah. me myself also no 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 I, I you know i i know what you're saying is right and i i over the last few years have tried to 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 be more aware of breathing and things like that and it can really transform your mood and and it's 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 a it it really is a fantastic tool and and you should know that the 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 kabbalists in the jewish tradition it, it wasn't Widely taught but 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 this concept of breathing and everything like that is is also in Judaism as well and And you're reminding me of another point. I I alluded a few weeks ago I've been um sort of hearing lectures from really one of the top physicists in the world just because he's consulting on this Project that I'm doing and 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 we're talking about different ideas And there's I believe his name is David Chalmers. He's a physicist turned philosopher but he the, in, in terms of trying to explain how it is that particles act the way they do because when you, you get to the subatomic level uh, the Newtonian laws don't apply anymore mm-hmm. and, and, and so it, they have to explain um, try to make the, the positions of the particles more predictable and so that, that is what quantum physics is it's sort of like the physics of, of, of these particles on a, on a, you know, on a subatomic, non-Newtonian level, okay? But anyway, still m- many mysteries exist, like um, quantum entanglement and all sorts of things in terms of m- mysterious ways that these particles act that, that Einstein called spooky, and, and still, w- we, we still don't fully understand them. So along comes this physicist, and he posits that, um, that there's just sort of like this, this, this narrative in terms of understanding how these particles act. Like, for instance, you have um, that before uh, Maxwell and Faraday, who were big influences on Einstein, they were the ones who realized that there, was, uh, there were new dimensions to particles that hadn't been discovered yet and it turns out they were right. The whole idea of electromagnetism in particles was a new idea. That wasn't, so in other words, we thought particles were just X, and now all of a sudden we find out, no, 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 there's undiscovered aspects to particles that we didn't know about, like this electromagnetic charge. Now, along comes Chalmers and says, you know something? We are only looking at the outside of the phenomena of particles. Yeah. But there's an insight to the phenomena of particles that is also there and hasn't been revealed up until now. Now now this theory of his, and I'm gonna put it in a way that's even more striking in a moment, is not mainstream physics, but it is it is credible physics. Mm-hmm. It is credible physics. It's not mainstream physics, but it's credible physics. And now listen to this. What he is actually positing, what he's saying is that particles are conscious. Okay. So so the 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 physicist that I'm learning with right now I said, "Well, then that suggests that it's part of a greater consciousness. Now he said, he doesn't say that. Because what his agenda was, was to say the, the least amount that he could, in order to make it the most scientific, right. and in accordance with just where science is at right now. What, what you want to do with it, you know what I mean? You, you can you can run with it. But So this is just me talking right now. This is not him talking. But it seems to me... If if you have the building blocks of reality, if they are conscious, <laughs> then they are part of a greater consciousness. That you know it, it just seems fairly obvious, you know? So so in other words, and what do we say? We say that we are inhabiting God. <laughs> so I mean it's a very Jewish it's a very Jewish thought. Very Jewish thought. And and again it's another example of how Physics and science itself is catching up to Torah, wow. you know, it's it's very cool. It's very cool.
1: Amazing. So a question about the, the end of, of the last parsha with uh, Moshe uh, having, coming down wearing a, a mask, so to speak. I was wondering what the, right. the, the real Hebrew word was for that. Someone, a friend of mine, yeah. yesterday, she said it's a veil, actually, not a mask. And how does that connect to being fully present? It's very interesting because, like, we're being yeah. fully present. And like, we wear a mask. Is like
0: they're you know. okay. Good. So this is. Um, I'm glad you're asking about this. I, you can look up the Hebrew, um, but I'm going to just speak about this from a different angle. Mm-hmm. So, so this is from the uh, from the Arim, and he says something very amazing because there's a connection between last week's parsha and this week's parsha. Last week's parsha ends, as you're saying with Moshe's come down now with the second luchos, the second tablets, and his face is absolutely shining. And um, I believe they call the, uh, the the light Karen, something like that. But Karen also means can mean horns. And this is why Michelangelo painted uh, Moshe with horns and how this myth grew up that Jews have horns and things like that. Although someone once told me that, um, that I thought was interesting that Certain people's payas are long, and if you actually are ignorant, and you think Jews have horns, you might look at payas and think, oh, those are the horns. I mean, there's a weird logic to that. But, but anyway, Jews don't have horns. <laughs> but, but it comes, they, they located the source of this is from the glow that Moshe's face had um, when, he, when he had the, 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 uh, the tablets. And then, that's the, the, the very end of the previous week's Parsha. And then the beginning of uh, Vayakh, begins with the Mitzvah of Shabbos. Which is interesting because, you know, we already have Shabbos as one of the Ten Commandments, so we already have the Mitzvah of Shabbos. But here's just like a whole section, right at the beginning of the Shabb- uh, the Parsha, keep Shabbos and everything like this. So what's the connection between Moshe coming down, his face is glowing, the people's faces are not glowing, by the way. Because of the Chet eagle, the sin of the golden calf. And then all of a sudden they're talking about Shabbos. The Torah is talking about Shabbos right away. Like the next thought, the next line. So now listen to this. This is from the Ari. And this again kind of ties very much into what we were discussing today. So the Ari says, you ready for this? Moshe basically shares this light. You see, what to all of us on Shabbos. See, it says that when we accepted the Torah at Mount Sinai, we said the words Vinishma. we will do and we will hear. It should be the opposite. First, you hear something, then you do it. But we were so on board with God's goodness, we were like, "No, no, no! What, God, you're good. Whatever you want, we're going to do it. And then yeah, we'll hear it later. We'll, we'll we'll figure it out later what it means. It doesn't matter. If it's coming from you, it's good. We'll do it. Then we'll hear it." And God was like, "Who taught you the secret of angels?" Right? So this was the highest probably we ever got as a nation when we said these words, Nasev and Nishma. But, but, but the idea is that after the sin of the golden calf, when we, again, the sin of the golden calf, remember, is almost in lockstep in terms of the eating from the tree of knowledge. Because we reached the level, the Gomorrah says, the Talmud says, that we reached the level of, level of Adam and Chava before they ate from the tree when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai. And then we Drop back down. But when we, wow. when we got to that level, it says we got two crowns on our heads. One for nase and one for Nishma. One for we will do and the other for we will hear. But that we lost those crowns by the sin of the golden calf. Okay? It's a whole topic in itself. And it says those crowns are going to be returned to us in the future. But now listen to this. The Ari says, now Moshe comes down, he's glowing, because Moshe still has the crowns. But listen to this. The, according to the Ari, every Shabbos, we get the crowns back. Wow. And you feel something if you're into Shabbos. If you're into Shabbos, you understand. And, and there are people that... I, I'll tell you something. I'm, well, forget it. There are people who look different on Shabbos. They, they have a light to them. That that if you, if you are sensitive to these things, you can see this. You can see this. So this is, this is a very real thing, but we certainly know it on just a consciousness level. If you really keep Shabbos, if you really, not just observe Shabbos, if you celebrate Shabbos, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you something, the happy meaning this Shabbos morning, I mean, I don't know if anyone was there. Were you there? Yes. The singing, right? Yes. It was... It was not from this world. It was not from this world. And I was thinking it. And then Rabbi Freeman started speaking about it. I mean, I think everyone who was there, like, heard something was going on. Something just transcendent happened. And that Shabbos, that Shabbos, and that's the connection between Moshe's face glowing when the rest of the peoples weren't, and then the Torah speaking about Shabbos because that gets returned back to us on Shabbos. But again, as I always say, and I, I just I just want to say this again. If you want to experience Shabbos like the way we're talking about it, it's you need a community. You need a community who's doing this. You can't just do this alone in your house. It's great if you can try, you know, try to try it. But but This type of thing is is something when, 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 when people get together and it happens. Okay.